cue the accordion. I've always wanted to say that. Kick back and get comfy while hosts Heather Winnig and her co-hosts from the Early Childhood Nerd Collective explore ways to cause and effect. Dig that funky accordion. everyone, welcome to Cause and Effect. We're glad you're here with us again, and joining me today is Travis. Hi! <laughs> he just had to uh, fight his dog down into a <laughs> space where he couldn't hear us. Um, into a hole. I had to push him into a hole. <laughs> <laughs> Which fits today's topic, because <laughs> we're going to talk about uh, child care and doggy daycare, and uh, how they compare... And that was really rhymy, and that was <laughs> unintentional. Um, so, are you ready for the quote? All right. Okay, okay. so this actually um, comes from Lisa Murphy. I'm not sure what the original context is, but I can tell you, um, for me, it came in a text <laughs> during a conversation <laughs> <Me too. laughs> between Travis and Lisa and I. Um, so, here's what she said. Um, I won't be out of work until we treat our children as good as we treat our pets. Mm. Mm. And in a a previous episode, um, Travis, you had said that um, we won't have, I think what you said, I'm paraphrasing, I'll I'll let you clarify, but um, (laughs) we won't have good child care until we're doing as good a job as they do at doggy daycare. Sum up what you were trying to say. That's essentially it. It's um, not... Ah, I just said essentially. Somebody punched me. I'm not supposed to say that word anymore. I'm a pacifist, <laughs> so I can't punch okay. I'll get a shot collar. But anyway. Okay, yes. <laughs> um, yeah, we, we talked about how the developmental appropriateness of dog daycares totally trumps the developmental appropriateness of most child care centers. I mean, it's not even so much the quality. It's how they treat the the people that are the things that they're caring for um especially in dog daycares where it's like every single thing that's there is there for a like a specific reason whereas in child care centers it's there because we think it's supposed to be there or because the schools have it there um so it's just really interesting to see how we all how we all kind of meet these different criteria but with early childhood spaces, it's not so much about developmental appropriateness as it is about preparatory curriculum. Right. And, and, and being here, teachers. Yeah. And here in dog daycares, it's, they, they know that these dogs just literally want to play. They're all, <laughs> they, they just want to hang out and play. And everything that's there is there to facilitate playing. Uh-huh. It's, it's, it's really funny. Yeah. I, as I was, as, as I was getting ready um, 
and sort of thinking things through after we decided this is what we were going to record about, I pulled out my NACI developmentally appropriate practice book. <clears throat> and um, there's there's a quote in there very early on that always sticks with me. And in fact, it's also written on flip chart paper on my office wall. Um, and it's essentially my turn, but I can say it. Essentially. essentially. <laughs> I can say it. Um, uh, in a nutshell, we'll say. <laughs> what what they say is developmentally appropriate practice is about what we know to be true about young children not what we think is true about young children and i think that's kind of what you're describing um yeah. we we get into and even people with like lots of training and and have taken the classes it's so easy to slip into that cultural um child care mindset that we're here to be little school or um I'm I'm a teacher, I'm not a babysitter, which I agree with, but what that so often translates into is, so I'm going to do things that I remember teachers doing when I was a kid, but what they're remembering is elementary school, probably not early childhood, and we just get into this cycle that we can't get out of unless we're really intentional about it. Yeah, and does anybody remember playing school as a child? Um being the teacher, doing all the things that teachers do or that teachers that we saw did or teachers on TV or in movies did. Yeah. Um, where It's so funny because when I go into early childhood spaces now, I see teachers behaving like children who are playing school. <laughs> yes. They're, they, they're acting like a, a childlike caricature of what a teacher is supposed to look and act like. Yeah. And it it's it's really frustrating, but at the same time it's like nobody is this this it's come to this point because nobody's been there to say, "Hey, we're not here to play school." Mm-hmm. Because that's what most child care centers are needing to look like in order to meet what a lot of these parents want out of them right. is that they want it to look like little school. They want it to look like they're getting their kids ready for something. Yeah. And I and, I just take such an issue like I mean I'm sure we talk about this all the time but it's it's such an issue that we're so worried about getting kids ready for something that we wind up just playing this childlike game mm-hmm. that winds up hurting them in the long run. Yeah. Now if Tiff was here with us on this episode we'd go off on a half hour tangent about her and I playing school. Because that's a frequent, <laughs> a frequent topic <laughs> when we were little. Um, because, and you're totally right. That is what we're doing: is we're children playing school so so yeah. many times in classrooms. Um, so I don't, I don't have a dog. I'm not a dog person. <laughs> I can appreciate other people's love for their dogs, <laughs> but it's not for me. Um, so I've never used doggy daycare. I've never been to one. Have you, like, can you talk specifically about the kinds of things you see besides just that general, they're allowed to play all the time? Yes. So I've just pulled up <laughs> the website for a very popular dog daycare chain here in Omaha. Um, it's called the Paw Spa. Isn't that cute? <laughs> is Paw Spa. Yes. Paw Spa Pet Resort. Yes. Um, so in their space... <laughs> They have pet resort. So, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's for it's for the dogs that have a silver spoon. Um, 
But, okay, so in their outdoor space, it's just a huge green space, open, totally open. Um, and it's they've got, like, sort of separations probably for the different kinds of dogs that they've got. Um, and in the, just in the middle, they've got one small little climbing structure and a slide. I don't know what dogs do in the slide, but I think it's cute. <laughs> they've got one little really simple climbing structure. Everything else is open space, which says to me that they – sat around and thought what do dogs need to do when they're outside they need to run around Mm -hmm. they need to play um they've got this climbing structure which dogs i mean it's small but dogs don't generally climb on things i mean naturally it's not really one of their things that they do (laughs) but they've got just all these this tiny little thing of ramps just in case they want to be at different levels it's like that's the outdoor area so first of all when I go to a lot of child care centers, I go, if I saw a space that was just a square, probably 80% of that square is taken up by this giant play structure. This giant, and I, I get Expensive. where primates, yeah, I giant. get where primates and we like to climb on things, but it does not need to be the only, like, we could have so many more yeah. developmentally appropriate uses of our space if you have a small space you don't need a giant yeah yeah so so often what i see is that climbing structures um you know we we get them because we think okay yeah kids need to climb but for some reason i don't see them getting used for climbing i still see kids climbing in other spaces yeah um, i think and then being redirected back to the the structure and and uh and that always tells me well maybe this is (laughs) not not the thing we should be spending our whole money and all our space on yeah i think i think i will actually disagree with you that i don't think many people are getting these climbing structures because they think we need climbing structures i think they're getting them because they're saying this is what a playground is supposed to okay fair enough i'll (laughs) cave because that's the thing like when i see this playground for dogs i can tell that it was specifically built for what dogs need and with these playgrounds that we see in all these childcare centers, I think it's specifically built for what adults want to see, mm-hmm. for what the for what the public parks sure. look like, for what school playgrounds look like. It's it, it's just really it's it's the difference between thinking about things developmentally appropriate wise mm-hmm. and thinking about things as what we want to see and what we want to look like little school. Yeah. Well, and what you said at the very beginning of that, you know, you, you said they sat around and thought about what do dogs need to do. That's, 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 that's it right there. <laughs> that's all. Yeah. That's the essence of this comparison, I think. But that's um, essentially, <laughs> essentially the essence. Um, yeah. And it's such a, like, so many people will think that that's just too simple to do it that way. Because if you if people are sitting in a circle thinking, what do dogs need? That's a two-second-long conversation. But that's about as long as we need to decide what's on our playgrounds. I mean, my playground at our little center, we've got the smallest playground. It's 25 feet by 25 feet. Um, it's over two parking spaces that we filled up with wood chips. And then the rest is the side of the building. And there are no climbing structures. The kids climb on the fence. Yeah. They climb up over the fence to look over it. They climb back down. <laughs> That's what they have for climbing. We made these little ladders out of two-by-fours mm-hmm. that they can move around to the fence if they can't quite climb it yet. And as long as they can get up, they know how to get down. Yeah. But everything else is pretty much open space. And a lot of people will just look at it and be like, Why? But that's where our loose parts are. We need an open space to have them strewn, strewn about so the kids can run around as much as they please. And while they're running, they'll see something on the ground, pick it up, and do something with yeah. it. 
I'd have a ball on that playground. Yeah. And well, that's the other thing. I don't see, I don't see any loose parts at most playgrounds that I go to. I yeah. see the climbing structure on astroturf or on um, what is it? Asphalt. Um, that and then recycled just, rubber tire stuff. Yep. Yep. And then around that is a circle or a square of uh, cement the sidewalk and sometimes they have bikes on it most of the time no because it's too dangerous mm-hmm. and that's it so yeah. the kids can climb up go down a slide but because what they want at the end of the day is for the playground to look pretty and if you have a whole bunch of toys all over the place yeah it doesn't look pretty anymore yeah and that's we, about four of the places that i've worked at in my life are like that yeah the the center where my office is right now just had to um there was a, a really nice tree out on the playground but it turned out that the tree um, had thorns that were poisonous. So we found that oh. out when a little boy stepped on one and had all kinds of problems. Um, but so we, you know, we had to cut it down. But what I loved was that um, they, uh, the staff there said, uh, well, when you cut that tree down, can you just leave all the pieces here for us? And so that's what they did. And it was so fun to watch the kids just play with it was just chunks of tree but it completely transformed the way they played out there and it was so much fun to watch it was hard for families to understand and even our licensing consultant was a little bit like "Mm, that (laughs) seems a little dangerous and we were like "Mm, it's not really much more heavy than the wooden unit blocks in the classroom (laughs) (laughs) and uh and you know so everything's cool but and still those i mean those have been out there for months and months and that's still the one of the biggest things i see them playing with yeah, and on our playgrounds, we've got, I would say, about 90% of what our playground is is chopped up two-by-fours. Oh, yeah. That the kids use for different things. Um, and then we've got, at the, at, the small, at the small center, we've got a whole bunch of pallets. And our health oh, inspector yeah. had a meeting with me with his supervisor. <laughs> and seriously, I had to go into this office and sit down with them. There, were two, there was them two on one side of the table, me on the other. And he said, now... I hear that you're trying to go for an all-natural thing at your center, but with these pallets, what I worry about are the nails in them. And I said, well, I don't think anybody's going to pick up the pallet and start slamming people with it in, in a situation where those nails might come loose. Uh, and, that, and then his next issue was that they might cause splinters. Oh, gosh. And I said, and that's a problem why? And he said, it's a, it's a safety hazard. And I'm like, it's really not because splinters we can get out right. before they get infected. Most of the time they won't even get infected mm-hmm. in the first place. So what exactly are we afraid of? And his, his response to that was that they just need to be sanded down as often as possible. And I just made a mental note that you're only here two times a year, and if you have a problem with it, with anything, you just make us move it off the playground, and then the second you leave, we put we it move back. it back. So yeah. that's I one don't... of my one of my favorite things that I heard Dan Hodgins say. Um, someone someone asked him. I think we were talking about free napping or something, and someone asked him how he reconciles that with licensing rules about naps, and he said, "Well, licensing's not there every day." Yeah. <laughs> Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. It's true. Um, it's true. Yeah. So I was, I'm, I'm going back to this. Um, they sat around and thought, what do dogs need to do? Because when you said that, I I started trying to think what, you know, what it is that we do so often. What What is it that we do instead of that so often? 
And I think we sit and we think, what do parents expect to see? Or we think, what, um, what do I want from this catalog? Yeah. <laughs> is so often, I think, sometimes how we pick our classrooms because the pictures are so nice and organized and appeal to adults. Yeah. Um, instead of um, what, what, do, what do we know about the children who are going to be in this room and what yeah. do they need to do? Um, so in, the, in, a, in a dog daycare situation... Do they, um, I'm assuming that they get all kinds of information from the owners and use that information to plan for the dog's time there, right? Like if they're not very social <clears throat> dogs or if they have special, you know, I don't know. Cause again, I'm not a dog person, but do you know where I'm going with this? Like, yeah. And I, I'll actually say that it's actually, it's not so much of an in-depth process. There's. <laughs> Because here, and here's where we can apply this to what we do and have a much better community-based program, is that they don't take what I say about my dog as fact unless I say he has some kind of illness. Now, my dog has really severe nerve damage, which means he has a lot of trouble with really loud noises. He, get, he overreacts to things. Um, he's not dangerous or anything, so he can be with the other dogs, but sometimes he'll get really worked up and just bark uncontrollably for a long time at another dog. It's only ever with other dogs. And so I sat and I'm trying to tell them all this because on their paper, it's just, what's your dog's name? Their date of birth. Have they had their vaccines? Then they're good to go. They're good to start. And I, I'll sit there and tell them all these things, but they'll just say, okay, well, we'll see. Because <laughs> all that they care about is once the, once the dog is there they'll observe how the dog interacts in this new environment and then they'll decide what's what's important to know about him or what he needs to be kept away from. Because um, as long as he's not dangerous to himself or to other dogs, it's it's up to them to decide. Yeah. So, And that's one of the things that I've started doing is that I no longer want to know if a child that's coming to me has autism. Oh. I'm, done, I'm done learning about it. I'm done having parents tell me about it. Like... I get that it's a very important thing for kids or very important thing for caregivers to know. Mm -hmm. Um, But a lot of times I'll be able to tell, but I think that when parents say that they're kind of expecting you like, Hey, this, this kid's going to be extra work for you. Are you up for that? And in my mind, I just want to be like, well, each of these kids is a lot of work for me. (laughs) And I'm sure I've met a lot of kids that'll be a lot more work for me than yours. Uh Um, So I'd rather just get to know your kid individually and not start, not have this kind of preset in my mind of how I'm supposed to interact with him because he has autism. Yeah. Because it's, it's no longer helpful for me because when I, when I hear that, then I start talking to them differently. Ah. I start expecting them to do different things. Whereas if I just meet them and get to know what they're capable of one-on-one, then I can shift what my expectations are every day or with the mood, with the hour of the day. Mm-hmm. Um, it's yeah. Cause it's that. And especially like kids with ADHD diagnoses, I don't want to, I don't want to know. It can, it definitely needs to be in their file just in case something happens and I need to know, but there's no reason for me to know ahead of time before gotcha. I meet the kid. Yeah. So I, I, I was initially going to take issue with what you were saying. 
but mm-hmm. um, that I'm sort of coming around. But uh, because you know, I I'm a mom who's used childcare. I've taken my kids to childcare. Yeah. And um, so my my initial thought was, no, you need to hear what I'm going to tell you about my yeah, kid. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because you know groups of kids and you know child development, but I know Curtis mm-hmm. and I know Josie. Yeah. Um. But then then where I, my thoughts went next was. You know, so often I hear I hear people saying in frustration, um, you know, I tried to talk to the mom about his biting and she just said he doesn't do it at home and that can't be right. Well, it can be right because you act different in a group situation yeah. than you do at home with your family and you don't yeah. have the same, you know, if we're talking about biting, we don't have the same stressors at home that you might have in a group of your same age peers. Yeah. So, so of course you're going to see different behaviors, but, um, but I, I, a hundred percent agree um, with, with the idea that, um, and I, and I used to say this a lot and I've sort of gotten away from it just because I got tired of explaining myself, but every child is a special needs child in my mind. Um, and if we are doing what you're describing, we're observing children, we're getting to know them. We're not coming in with any preconceived, uh, garbage about them. Um, then we're going to be individualizing for each child as they need us yeah. to. And then if a child does come in with a diagnosed disability or has some sort of special, it's going to just be second nature for us to do the inclusion yeah. things yeah. That, that we need to do. <laughs> yeah. And I definitely don't want to make it seem like I either don't believe in autism <laughs> or I don't care that a kid right. has autism because definitely believe in autism <laughs> as a neuroscientist yeah. and definitely care. Um, but it's, it's kind of sad for me how that has to be the first thing that parents will say because of the fact that most places don't accept kids with diagnoses like that, especially here in Nebraska. I get a phone call that, and the first thing I'll hear is, do you accept kids with autism? It's not legal to not accept kids with autism. Well, I, it's actually in Nebraska. You can say we are not a special needs center. You can say we don't accept. Yeah. In our licensing, we can... Um, in our licensing, it specifically asks us if we will accept kids with special needs. That's a it's one shocked. it's it's one lawsuit away from changing. I'm okay, sure. Right. I'm sure it's just someone needs to take issue with it yeah. and file a lawsuit, I've and then just, it'll change. I've because just done a I lot doubt of ADA training with childcare people, right? And that's right. not legal. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But for some reason, we're allowed to say in our licensing whether or not. So if, especially if it's against ADA, I'm sure it's just one lawsuit away from changing, but we get, we get that phone call almost twice a week at our Lincoln center. It's, do you accept kids with autism? And a lot of times I'll just say, we accept whatever kids we get. I will say if a child is a flight risk, we're not probably the place because we are right next to, we have an exit door, a fire exit door that goes right up to a very busy street. So if yeah. your child's if if any child here is a flight risk, it's probably not the safest thing because they can just jet out that door anytime they want, and it, all that what would happen is a teacher would be chasing them. So whoever gets to the busy street first is there. Yeah. Um. So that's whenever people bring up autism, that's the only thing I will ever say is that we accept any kid that wants to come. I will just say that it's probably not your safest bet uh-huh. to bring them here if they have a flight risk. Yeah. Yeah, so the I mean, ADA and child care in a nutshell is you can't just say, no, we don't take kids with autism. But mm-hmm. you can say, tell me what he would need 
yeah. oh yeah, I'm not sure we could do that. that I yeah. mean, it's a fine line, and it's an easy yeah. line to walk if you really don't want to take children with autism. But yeah. just to say that out front. Yeah, and it's it's so it's really frustrating because I don't want parents to have to say that at all. I want I don't want parents to have to say do you, do you accept kids with autism or the first thing that I have to hear about their kid is they Defensive. have autism. Yeah, like because like a parent feels yeah, like they need to defend their child before yeah. they even get to you know through the door. With yeah, you. Oh, that's and sad. I think that that's why we have a lot of children in our program who have autism is because one like it starts with one parent who goes. I don't have to be constantly defending my kid here. Yeah. And then they tell everybody. I mean, we our local Autism Speaks chapter sends kids to us all the time now because of the fact that our that the parents are just like this is this is so much better than anywhere yeah. I've ever been. I'm not constantly getting behavior reports because they're not expecting my kid to do what everybody else is doing because we don't expect any kid to do <laughs> what everybody else is doing. So I think I I think it feels like a more inclusive environment. But then one of the biggest complaints I have had after that is that parents feel like the second their kids enter school, it's just downhill. Oh, uh, right. The second they enter kindergarten, it's just totally downhill. Not for their behavior, but for like their quality of life almost, mm-hmm. because it's just so depressing to be in such a free and individualized environment and then go somewhere where you're expected to yeah. do what everybody else is doing all the time. And I, and a lot of times I will ask, do just just for my own sanity, do you feel like you should have sent them to a more rigorous academic structured place? And every time it's no. Okay, every, yeah, that's what no, I was gonna. No. I was gonna Wouldn't slip change into that. <laughs> Wouldn't change it for the world. Slip into Tiffany mode again and say, because you know, play devil's advocate. That's her, what she yeah. likes to do. Um, because the conversation that I've had many times is. Well, we know it's going to be a shock for them to go to school after being in this kind of an environment. So are we really doing them a disservice by not being more school-like early so that it's yeah. not such a shock? Um, and that, I mean, I'm, I'll be honest, that, that question stumps me sometimes um, because my my authentic answer would be, I'm worried about their quality of life right now. Yeah. I, I'm worried about how happy they feel and how free they feel and how loved they feel and how attached they feel yeah. right now in this moment of their <laughs> life. Um, do I do I feel badly about what happens then if they go into a school that doesn't fit them? Yeah, I, I don't like it, but that's on someone else's shoulders to fix. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's the responsibility well, of the people that are, that are causing that whiplash. Yeah. And that's, that's the other thing is um, in my, in one of my trainings that I give the first, one of the first things that I say is that we cannot worry about what kind of shock a new change is going to be for kids because every change a kid goes through is a culture shock. Yeah. Every single change. And they've got, Five billion of them left. It's it's like I don't think I think people just want their kids to have this life that they can expect every single thing every day to happen and happen at the same time. And it's like that's the danger of these routines that people get into is that you if you're so worried about getting your kid into a routine that you have to do it every single day the exact same. The second that you are sick, down and out, can't do can't implement that routine, mm-hmm. their entire world gets upended. Yeah. And that's and that's going to happen a whole bunch of times in their life, and it doesn't matter what you could have done to prevent that shock. 
What matters is how the kid has the tools and the skills to cope with that shock. Mm -hmm. Because I will say, having gone to a Catholic school where everything had to be on a routine, everything was crazy, I had to teach myself how to be bored again. I had to teach myself that I didn't constantly need to be in some activity. I didn't constantly need to be doing dance or I didn't constantly need to be in a play because it was just all, there was this routine that if you were sitting at home, you were lazy. If you were sitting at home with no TV on, no phone, no music playing, you were just lazy and unmotivated. And that's still what people think of kids who do that today. Even just the kids who sit at home playing a video game, they're lazy and unmotivated no, <laughs> they're doing something yeah. and they're coping with not having something else to do. Yeah. They're trying to fill their time by creating a hobby, a, right. a set of hobbies that they can fun. have. <laughs> yeah, they're being, they're individualizing their life. <laughs> and that's what we, and to get back to dogs, that's yeah. how we look at dogs. I mean, people leave their dogs at home when they leave uh-huh. and they're not sitting worried about how shocked the dog's going to be at being alone. No, the dog has skills <laughs> to cope with sitting because yeah. they need to. It's part of what they need. They're denning animals. They need to be able to sit in the dark for a while. <laughs> it's, part, it's, it's part of what they need. And the same thing goes for kids. They need to have periods of stasis where there's no activities. Yeah. There's just sitting down and then they have to figure out if they're bored and it's hurting them to be bored, then they have to figure out something to do for themselves. Yeah. Or do they just look bored to the adult who then has to sleep? Yeah. Yeah. And do something about it. Yeah. So, um, so, so did you wear a little skirt when you went to Catholic school? <laughs> I did not. No, nope, I did not. I, I wore, I wore, I wore black slacks in a maroon shirt. Half the time my slacks smelled like cat pee because I left them on the floor and my cats would pee on them. I was definitely that kid. <sighs> And all these years later, all these years later, I would be like, I would make fun of it talking to my parents and my mom would be like, what the heck? Why would you, why were you going to school? It's not like she didn't do laundry. It's not like she wasn't. Nope. I was just grabbing what was ever on the floor and putting it on. So I was not at one of those Catholic schools where everybody was beautiful and manicured. All right. Just checking. Just trying to arrange my mental model. (laughs) No one ever asked questions. I was just the smelly kid. <laughs> okay. Sorry. I'm sorry if that was painful for you. Bring that back up. No, I didn't care. Yeah, all right. All I right. didn't care all that much. Yeah. So I, I feel like I, I need to say we're not saying children and dogs are the same thing. Yes. 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 We're not With saying def- that you should get children on a rigid reward schedule or something yeah. like you would maybe if you were doing some dog training but um yeah i think but I we're think saying the, the adult difference... approach should be the same yes right? the yeah. di- there's a huge difference in how dogs learn and how children learn for sure right. yeah <laughs> but it, it's it's a fundamental difference but beyond the fundamentals there's a lot of similarities which means that we can draw these comparisons mm-hmm. of how we facilitate dogs existing, how we facilitate kids existing, and pretty much how we facilitate anything existing that we feel we need to rear or bring up. Because, uh-huh. um, yeah, it's the same thing for how we treat disabled adults um, who are in either adult child or adult care centers or in um, group homes or something. 
it definitely has to be we have to approach them based on what their needs are and what they're capable of mm-hmm. and then just facilitate an environment that helps foster their growth forever mm-hmm. and that's a very simple broad thing to do so it's not so specific as saying that dogs and children are even remotely similar <laughs> But it's just this entire culture of how adults in positions of power treat the people that they're in charge of keeping alive, treat the things or people that they're in charge of keeping alive. Yeah. Um, Okay, so I'm going to spring this on you. Mm -hmm. If you had to... uh, So I'm trying to bring this back now. So if people are listening and feel like they maybe want to make a change or want to at least think about whether they need to make a change... Are there questions that you think they could ask themselves to, to decide, you know, so like I'm thinking, you know, a very basic one is um, just look at your room and think, or your home, if you're doing it at home and ask yourself why the things in there are in, you know, maybe go through each, each thing you've got in your room in your classroom or in your family childcare home and think, why is this here? Is this here because I feel like it's a teachery thing or is this here because there's a specific child in this setting that that it's for um are there other things that that you would recommend well i often get into this situation where i just feel like there's so much junk in the room that kids don't play with or if they do it's for the purpose of dumping it out and then leaving it there and then walking away just because it's something that's become a little too boring for them um or i mean if it's toddlers for sure toddlers have that whole deconstructive thing where it's just like everything needs to be dumped out and the way that you fix that is just by not putting things in things that can be dumped out (laughs) or letting them (laughs) or or, yeah letting them dump things but having specific things that are better for dumping (laughs) um but one of the things that i used to do with each new group of kids is i would start with a blank room and you can do this in the middle of a year, too. If you're just deciding that you want to make sure that everything that's in the classroom is there because children want to use it, start with a blank room and do, like, sing, start with a blank room, sit in the middle of the room and sing some songs. And as kids get either bored with you or annoyed with you, (laughs) um, they'll ask you for things. Uh And what I would do is I would have them in all these things in a different room just piled up in their containers or whatever. And when kids would ask me for them, I would go get them and bring them back in. Because if some, if a kid remembered or valued that thing enough to ask for it, then it definitely belongs in the classroom. And what that wound up getting rid of were all of these, like those counting bears. Those were gone. Nobody ever wanted those again. <laughs> um, markers. Nobody wanted markers oh, really? again. It was just crayons, just crayons oh. and paint, crayons and I paint. That's all that we cared about. Classrooms never work. Yeah, Maybe that's why. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so then, so then, I no longer expected that I needed to have markers there or markers that even worked. I just <sighs> did, got rid of them uh-huh. and didn't need them again because none of the kids ever asked for them. Yeah. Now, if one day a kid does ask for them, I definitely yeah. have some that I can grab and bring in. Yeah. But knowing that it's not necessary for them to be there, and then a lot of things that I thought were amazing loose parts that nobody ever could figure out something to do with that I might just bring in one day and leave them there and see if anyone does anything with them. If they don't work, I'll just bring them back out. Like I had PVC pipes. None of these kids have been touching PVC pipes. None of them want them. And so but I just have all this stuff. parts list. Yeah. And so, and so when you walk into my classroom now, after all this has happened, 
you'll notice that I have like two shelves that are just totally empty, which is great because now when kids build something out of Legos that they don't want to take uh, apart, I have a shelf that they uh-huh. can put them on. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> so it all just so kind of works out. Once they've asked for something, you keep it in the classroom. Yep. Like once it's been requested. Yeah. Yep. So of course my mind is going through, you know, licensing says you have to have a certain kinds of things in the room. And, um, in Indiana, we have paths to quality. That's our quality rating system. And you have to have three to five materials in the classroom yep. for each of these areas. So, and if my mind went there, I'm sure everybody, you know, lots of people who are listening, their mind yeah. went to their regulations. So, but you can make that fit. And you and yeah. I have talked about this. Um, and that's just, the other... just be prepared before you have the conversation instead of, you know, if someone came yeah. in while I'm doing this blank room experiment, how would I explain it to them? And yeah. How can I say, yeah, that stuff's all still available to them? Yeah, and um, in Nebraska, we have it kind of easy because we just, our only regulation about what goes into the classroom is that it's adequate materials, <laughs> which I don't think anyone knows what the definition right. of that is. Right. But and we also... Adequate <laughs> for whom? <laughs> yeah, we also have our, um, yeah, because adequate materials for my outdoor playground, I my when I was first opening... Um, my inspector said, okay, well, I can't give you a license today because you don't have adequate materials on the playground. And I'm like, so what do I need to do? And she was like, well, I would just like go to Walmart and get like a couple balls. Oh my God. And that, that was adequate material. <laughs> but we also have our step up to quality, which does have some kind, it has some kind of lists about what should be in the classroom. Mm-hmm. And that's another thing like Dan said is that they're not there every day. Yeah. And then also if they showed up, it would look so great for you to say, I'm trying to decide which of these materials kids actually value and get yeah. something out of. Uh-huh. And so we're doing an experiment right now where I'm pulling things in. All the materials are still available. And if you're afraid to have that conversation, then you probably are afraid to have a lot of conversations <laughs> that you should be having right. with your licensing right. special. Right. I think it's just, we just need to understand collectively as a field. It's okay to to push back a little bit sometimes. Yeah. It's okay to be confident in what you're doing and then say, well, here's why I did it if someone questions you. Yeah. We don't have to sit back and let everybody else tell us yeah. what to do. But and I don't I don't know exactly why that's so hard for us. Um, but I've seen it, you know, I've been doing this for almost thirty years. I see it everywhere. I've seen it everywhere I've been. Yeah. Um, that they just and, I, you know, for some, it may be just personality. They're not confrontational. Or it may be that they themselves don't really know why they're doing things the way they're doing things. Um, but for the most part, I just think we've let ourselves be pushed around too long. Yeah. Anytime that you, that you say to yourself, oh, I can't do that because of licensing, you need to also remember that licensing is not in the business of shutting child care centers down. Right. No, in no state is that a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I can tell you right now, one of my centers had to operate, was it was allowed by the department to operate without a license because one of our teachers was missing two hours of training. Mm. And so they wouldn't give us the new license, the operating like license that never expires. So yeah, so we were on the provisional, we were moving to the operating and at the last minute, she said, oh, well, one of your teachers is missing a couple hours of in-service training, so you need to get that to me. And so for about 30 days, 
we were operating without a license, uh-huh. and that's illegal. That's illegal childcare. And they knew that we were operating illegally, technically, uh-huh. and they just said, you have, after that first 30 days, the day that we sent in the um, in-service hours, before she even got them, they had sent us a thing that says, in 30 to 60 days, we will refer you to the county attorney if you don't get your... Um, if you don't get these hours into us. Uh-huh. So they were going to, they were literally going to let us operate illegally for three whole months without a license. Yeah. And so when people <laughs> tell me that not having enough toys in the classroom or having yeah. their spray bottle out and accessible is going to get them shut down, yeah. it's not. Yeah. It's really not. Yeah. The places that get shut down have a lot of infractions you don't know about that led up to this right. it's the con it's however constant it's been yeah and it's only the serious ones that get put into files that get shown to the public yeah. well and i'm i mean i'm i'm a proponent of regulation for child care programs mm-hmm. and i sure. i know that that's you know not everybody's opinion but it, i i've seen too many bad things happening in unregulated care um, yep. To say so, I don't want to make it sound like we are saying ignore all of your licensing rules, but I am saying know it, know what is really yeah. in licensing, know what is really in accreditation, and don't just take it on assumption that something yeah. is or isn't. And you know, in Indiana, if there's something that's missing from your classroom, you get cited for it. You know, which just means it goes on your report and. Um, but then you've got 30 days to develop a plan of action. So you don't yeah. even have to know right then how to articulate your your defense to the licensing yeah. consultant is in, who's in the room. You've got some time to think it through and yeah. and, and submit that to them. So um, so it's not as scary to stand up yeah. as some of us think it might be. Yeah. And those regulations are so important and necessary to keep children safe. Yeah. They're also, in most cases, like especially in Nebraska, I can say this, they're the bare minimum right. of what you need to do. And if you feel like that bare minimum is impeding with or is competing with your um, philosophy, like it does with mine so much, you can request alternative compliance uh-huh. by having by creating your own rule that gets the exact same intention of right. the original rule. <laughs> Right, looking at the intent and not just the, yeah. the words in the yeah, language. Yeah, because the words are one thing, but they're there to convey an intent that is meant to keep children safe. Right. So if they have a problem with your water table being filled with water outside all the time, then you can say, well, my policy is that I'm going to be there with them all the time watching them. Mm-hmm. I'm not just going to rely on ratios to cover yeah. that. I'm going to be sitting by the water and making sure nobody shoves their head in and stays under. (laughs) (laughs) And that, and that's so that got me away from having to follow a rule that was there. I just said, well, I'm going to keep this here because I don't think it's unsafe for children, but I know that at some centers, if they have this with the staffing that they have, it would be totally unsafe. But with me, I trust myself. I can sit here next to it and make sure that this is where I plant myself so that I can have a good overview of what's going on at all times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and that's a good point. We had a we had a case in Indiana. We've had several in the last few years, but we had a case in Indiana a couple of years ago. Um, so in Indiana, if you are affiliated with a religious organization, mm-hmm. you can be a registered ministry rather than a child care center. And it's the lowest level of 
like an unlicensed home who receives voucher money has more regulations than a registered ministry. No ratios, no any of that stuff. And there was a case in Indianapolis where a child wandered away from the group and drowned in the baptismal. And so the immediate reaction was, for, for a lot of people and a lot of conversations was, well, we got to get water out of all the centers. What about our water tables? It's like, no, we have to supervise. <laughs> we have to have adults who, who are present and group sizes that are manageable. And, um, and that's what we should be hollering about, not water. <laughs> yeah. It was, that was a, you know, one adult for 40 kids, no one's paying any attention kind of bullshit. Not, yeah. um, water is bad. <laughs> yeah. Oh, but that just happens goodness. too often for me to say, no, we shouldn't have any regulations. I have to tell you, so this is, sorry, a little uh, less serious than the last story. But one of the things that Indiana regulations say, um, and I think this is sort of an example of, um, you know, regulations aren't written by childcare people typically. Sometimes we get to have a little feedback, but they're written by legislators and, and lobbyists and whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the list of things that are banned, from classrooms in childcare centers in Indiana, projectile toys, <laughs> which I think is so funny, because any toy, every toy, yeah, every projectile toy. toy. If you're properly, every toy in my hand is a projectile. <laughs> so that just makes me laugh every time I see it. Oh God! See, I just threw a pen in my face to demonstrate <laughs> how everything is a projectile. Um, okay, any last thoughts about it? I think we covered a yeah. lot of good stuff today. Yeah, I do too. And I, I, <laughs> um, I mean, I definitely think that, that that blank room is such a good idea if, if people can make it work. Um, but that's what I would say is our maybe the best takeaway from this episode is to really look at what you've got in your room and think about why you've got it in your room or on your playground. And yeah. um, maybe visit a doggy daycare <laughs> and see how Go they do, do things. Um I just, it's not just to make yourself real happy. Yeah, I was just going to say, like I said, I'm not a dog person, but I got real joy inside my heart when you were describing the play space and the dogs running and the green oh, yeah. space and all that the stuff. Indo- the indoor is about exactly the same, yeah. except they've also got an indoor swimming pool because, again, silver spoon. <laughs> silver spoon dogs. Okay. Right. Um, well, that is crazy. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, let's wrap this one up. Thanks, Travis. All right, thank and you. Thanks everyone for hanging around with us. Have a have a good day. Have a day. <laughs> have a day. This has been an Explorations Early Learning Upstairs Studio production. Oh.